All right. Good evening, everybody. So uh, today we are beginning the V Brownbag series on APIs, and we are beginning with the introduction to a RESTful API. Today we are joined by our guest, Chris Wall, who is going to be leading this presentation. I'm your host, Rebecca Fitzhugh, and I'm also here with Tom Green, and he's going to be leading the attack on social media. Speaking of social media, please feel free to join in on the conversation, tweet us different questions, or of course participate live if you're an attendee. Um, so if you are using Twitter to communicate with us, please use hashtag vbrownbag and we will communicate your question to our presenter. With that, Chris, I'm gonna go ahead and make you the presenter and turn it over to you. Cool beans. Let me figure out this newfangled technology here. Oh, there we go. Show my screen. Which one do I want? Not that one. This one. There we go. And now I better load my presentation. <laughs> All right. Does everything look good? Yeah. Magic. It's, yeah. Stars. Cool. All right. Well, thank you very much, Rebecca and Tom. Um, as, as alluded to, I'm Chris Wall. This is me discussing cloud native applications with a llama I found in Amsterdam. Some various things on here. Um, if you do mow me, hello. And uh, I, I blog at wallnetwork.com. And most proud, uh, the most, the thing I'm most proud of on this list is uh, podcasting with Ethan Banks over at Data Knots. So we release an episode every Wednesday. Today is actually the 100th episode of the show. So we've been doing this for a little over two years now. And other things that are here. Um, we're going to be talking about RESTful APIs at a more introductory level because there are further presentations that are going to go deeper and talk about specific API sets. So this is going to be a little bit high level and agnostic. However, comma, um, I've been working with APIs for quite some time, so if you have a question that wants to go deeper, I've got a few breaks uh, in between the presentation. Feel free to ask. As a warning, I like non-serious stuff, so there will be some nonsense in here. And I promise um, no, no architecture or whatnot. We're going to keep it nerdy, uh, and, we'll, and we'll get it kicked off right here. So before I go into APIs specifically, um, I'm kind of drawing from a slide that I've used in the past because I think it's worth repeating the changes that I've seen in the industry and some reasons that I tried to be more like uh, Mr. Waffle there instead of Mr. Pancake. Now, if you've not heard of imperative versus declarative, um, it is some, kind of like the waffle versus pancake debate. O obviously, everyone enjoys a waffle better. It has natural pockets to hold syrup, which is technically superior to the flat, runny pancake. But realistically, it's just the idea of imperative work is what we've traditionally done as data center engineers. You know, it's the system that you're working with doesn't really understand what's going on. And you, as the engineer, have to be the element that tells it what to do. So the example I often give is carving out a LUN for running virtual machines on. Right, the storage array doesn't really know. It knows it's running storage, but it's not sure what it's doing with that. And you have to go in and set up you know, the volume or the group or the LUN or whatever it is that you're building. And you have to tell it what can connect to it and what it can do. And it's a lot of steps, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. But traditionally, it means that, you know, you have to use your, your meat spatulas, a.k.a. your hands, and go in there and tell the system what to do uh, step by step. Therefore, you also have to be kind of a master of it, right? And, and the mastery is typically what we pride ourselves on. Whereas a declarative model might be something as simple as talking to, let's use the storage array example like we did today and say, hey, I need some storage for my virtual machines. And it would then go say, oh, cool, let me carve out a LUN or a volume, let me present that, let me look at the host initiators, if it's iSCSI or you know, worldwide names, if it's Fiber Channel or IPs, if it's NFS, and it does all the work for you. You basically just tell it, this is the end state that I want, I want you to give some storage for running virtual machines. And the declarative type model says, cool, the system is intelligent enough to do that for you. 
And so I think no one's really going to argue that declarative isn't a better model overall, but there's been a lot of impediments to getting this done. And I've actually had a few people say, well, you know, my value to the organization is building stuff by hand, like the, the engineering that I do is really the value, and there's no, there's no need to go declarative, right? However, I think when we look at topics like infrastructure as code and actually working with systems using an API, which we'll go into and further things like that, there's a lot of value in avoiding building things by hand. And I, I, for that, I tend to look back at documentation, and it's typically the fact that the moment you start to document a system or describe a system, it's already out of date. Like literally the moment you hit period and print and or save or whatever, it's already out of date. It's, it's impossible. So if we're, starting, if we're able to take statements that are declarative and kind of put them into code and treat things like infrastructure as code, then the statements that we write become actionable, right? Kind of self-documents itself too. It makes itself repeatable, right? Because really we want consistency in IT. It either consistently explodes and we know not to do that, or it consistently succeeds and we know to do that. The, the chaos and randomness are our enemy. We need things to be very consistent. And when you put things into an architecture where it's a workflow and it's calling APIs and it's doing things in very automated fashion, you get consistency and it becomes repeatable. It also makes sure that you get to do wonderful things like not working, right? You know, ultimately that's the goal. I was working at uh, a large insurance firm when I was a much younger lad. And uh, I figured out the, the world of automation very, very early on and realized that I could do 40 hours of paid work in like five or 10 minutes. As long as I didn't tell anybody, then, then all was gravy. You know, I basically just got to play StarCraft while I was sitting in my chair. Ideally though, you have a team of people that you're working with. And if everyone can kind of contribute to the idea of what the data center is supposed to look like at a more communal, code-based, you know, exposed method, you actually get that force multiplier. Everyone is now empowered to do work. There is no choke point. If you read the Phoenix project, you don't have you know, that one guy that knows everything that you're relying on during a SEV1 call at two in the morning. Uh, and life actually improves. It also gets rid of tribal knowledge. You know, as I alluded to a little earlier, once you write documents, they're pretty much stale. And you have to find that guy or that gal who knew whatever system it was that was set up, assuming they're even there at the, the company anymore. And if you start putting this stuff into configuration, infrastructure as, you know, infrastructure as code via configuration through APIs, the neat thing that happens as a result is that you're kind of describing the system at its current state all the time. And it's kind of like creating a document that's always up to date because that's reflective of the state of the environment. So these are the kind of high in the sky sort of things. I think they offer some value to you, you know, not just in an abstract way, but in a concrete way so that you can do less work, make more money. I don't think there is a C. That's all you really need in life. So the nice thing is learning a RESTful API is actually really easy. Uh, if this is your first time, you've heard of this, and you don't know what it is, and you're a little scared of it, that's cool. I was you back in the day. I don't remember, I don't remember when I learned APIs, but there was a point where I was like, man, API sounds scary. RESTful API sounds like a lazy version of a scary API. What, what is going on here? But don't worry, it is actually really simple. So let's go into REST. And by the way, if you've used a web browser, you've basically used a RESTful API uh, because you're just fetching or Git getting data from some endpoint, and the data that you receive is then transformed using a markup language, typically HTML, to look fancy on your screen. So like, you don't know it, but you've already used an API. So you don't have to hide it, you don't have to be shameful or uh, bashful. So what is REST? 
REST isn't a thing from a tangible perspective. It's not something you buy. It's not you know, an, an installable or an XC or an MSI or a DMG. It's an architecture. And I tend to focus a lot in my career on architecture. It's what drove me to go for the VCDX. Uh, and just like that, REST is a way of constructing an architecture. As you can imagine, if this is used by the World Wide Web, you know, which sounds dated just saying that out loud, it needs to be the things you see here. Right? Scalable, duh, it spans the globe. Simple, yeah, your grandma has to use it. Reliable, uh, that's kind of iffy. Depends on what you're doing on the internet. But, but holistically, it's pretty reliable. Uh, and and we, all, we all certainly know and complain when pieces of the internet goes down, you know, like S3 outage in the East environment or Gmail goes down. And then performance as well. You know, they actually, I think of all of them, that's why I listed that one first, is because our tolerance for latency and performance being laggard is much less than it used to be. For those that have lived through the dial-up modem era, I think you get it. And for those that uh, were weaned on broadband, feel really privileged because it's awesome, right? So it's an architecture that describes the transfer of data. Now, if you distill it to that, I think it's not, it's not that like scary or mystifying anymore. It's just how do we get data from independent platforms in a way that negates the fact that those platforms are not similar. They're not using the same code underneath. They're not using the same stack, maybe totally different you know, ideas behind them, but they can still transmit data from one another. That's why you know, an Apple computer or a you know, Mac computer or a Windows PC, everything can reach the internet because they're all talking over an API, over REST, to get data. And the browser is just kind of the interface layer. It's the language that we're choosing to transmit by uh, being HTML over these calls. You know, get me some data. Here's some data. You know, if you're doing a search, you're potentially sending data. That's all it is. Why I think RESTful APIs are important, and make no mistake, RESTful API is the key here because APIs are, you know, half a century old. They're super old. Um, they, they've been around forever. RESTful APIs, not so much. And RESTful APIs in the infrastructure world, like what we do on a day-to-day -day basis, this is kind of mind-blowing. And I'll, and I'll kind of foo-foo on various vendors for, for not doing that. But some benefits here. Automation is kind of a no-brainer, right? If we want to build a data center, I think in two different, uh, two different thoughts here. If we want to build a data center that is highly automated, we can't be stuck learning very specific command line interfaces, very specific SDKs, very specific syntax and languages that only apply to one or more solutions, right? We need something that's a bit agnostic, and that leads into vendor neutrality, right? And the RESTful API ecosystem has been long embraced in the cloud world. That's the, the only way to configure things. Uh, as well as kind of the application world. That was how one app talks to the next. Not so much in infrastructure, right? And, and I tend to focus on, uh, even prior to working for Rubrik, I wanted everything to be talking RESTful APIs somewhere and to have that exposed to me so that anything I want to do with the product is possible. So that's just my personal position on putting stuff in my data center. Uh, I really don't embrace anyone that's anti-API or has a lackluster one. And then functional ops is something that has been near and dear to my heart for the better part of 10 years or so, where it's like, how can we use the skills of one another to put together something awesome, right? It's not about going and hacking on something over the weekend and putting something together. You're the only person who knows how to use it. It's just this one-off thing. It's how can we come together as a team and build some really kick-ass IT, right? And I think APIs enable a lot of that. So, and then you might wonder, how, how so? How so, Chris? I don't believe you. That's all right. I think my friend, uh, my friend Flynn here, that's a tongue twister, understands it. It's the independent nature 
a RESTful API, not independence like Viva La France or something like that. It's the independence among what language you want to choose, what solution stack you want to consume, you know, what cloud management platform you want to use, where you live in the world, all of that stuff, right? It's it's just it's just all of that, you know, what stack you want to actually operate with, and that entire piece. It's totally your call, right? So it gives you the the fluidity to pick kind of whatever you want for the right environment, rather than having to trade off, you know, scalability or reliance, uh, reliability or performance or something like that, right? I'll, I'll pause there just to take a breath, make sure we're good. I see a question. Apparently, I misspelled something. I apologize. That's uh, that's on me. Uh, okay, we'll keep going. So, how do I talk to an API? Here's the you know, if you see Indiana Jones putting the bag of sand to take the uh, the golden idol, you know, like this is the part where we we trick the trap so it doesn't roll a boulder and kill everyone because uh, that would be bad. So, how do you communicate with API? This is what you need to know, right? It's it's really it looks it looks hard and fancy and weird at first, but so did you know Fiber Channel, probably you know worldwide name and you know single initiator, single target. What is all this stuff? Like everything looks weird when you first see it. But I think the simple part is there's only really four things you need to know. Uh, obviously, you're making a call with some kind of command, but I'll go through them. Right. So call is just a term saying this is what's going to invoke my request. You know, in PowerShell, it's invoke REST method or invoke web request. Uh, every language has its own call. You know, it, you could use curl. You know, that's that's totally doable. But it's the command that you're going to use to tell the operating system or whatever application you're using, like, hey, I want to talk to an API. So that one's pretty straightforward. It's just a command. Uh, the endpoint, sometimes expressed as the URI, the Uniform uh, Resource, I think, um, identifier. There we go. As opposed to the URL, which is the locator. And that's just a fancy-looking web address. That's kind of like the home address of where data lives, right? And there's typically a lot of them. So endpoints could be things like, I want to talk to a virtual machine running in VMware environment to PowerDot. And that's what I'm actually going to show uh, from vSphere. Right? So that's just kind of how you get to the resource, or what I call the pathway. Now, the resource itself is the data. And a lot of times, endpoint and resource are kind of used interchangeably. You might say, I'm going to talk to the resource and you do that by sending data to the endpoint. But realistically, the resource is the data you're manipulating. So for the example of the virtual machine being powered off or powered on, if I ask it, hey, I want to get the state of a virtual machine's power state, it will come back and the data will be either on or off. Right. So that's the, that's the resource found within that endpoint, on or off, or true or false. Now the method is what you want to do. Right? So I alluded to getting data. So you might say, I want to get the state of the virtual machine's power state, and then the resource you get back is on, right? So a method could be get, put, post, delete, that kind of jazz. It's the, it's the action or the verb in the sentence. And then there's two that are a little bit weirder. I'll just say that call, endpoint, resource, and method are pretty much uniform across every single API you're going to find. They're all, they all have these things. They're not optional. You've know, you got you to have them somewhere in there. Header and body is where we get to kind of optional things, right? So header is a place that you can talk to the endpoint or the API itself and say, here are some special parameters. Maybe I want to talk JSON instead of XML. Maybe I want to you know, use a specific version of the API. That would all go in there. Think of kind of like logical overhead, right? It's, it's kind of a, an agreement between you and the endpoint that offers some metadata around what's going to happen. 
I also put authentication in there because in a lot of APIs, the way that you're going to prove who you are is either by sending basic authentication information, which is essentially a Base64 encoded string that contains your username and your password. And don't worry, you should be sending everything through HTTPS, so the SSL certificate is going to encrypt the data. Be mindful that encoding is not the same as encrypting, but that's typically where it's going to be held, or you're using OAuth 2, or potentially a token. A token is a way that you can ask an API for a piece of information, specifically a token string, and say, I want to trade in my credentials for a token that only lives so much time, or perhaps you're given a token. Either way, authentication is in the header, and it's one of those three things, or, or some oddball fourth thing. Good, good with me so far? Everybody's, everybody's jiving? All right, we got body left. It's the only one that's kind of on the list. Uh, the body is where everything matter uh, is where it's very specific to the API that you're talking to. So every endpoint that you encounter is going to have stuff that it can potentially accept in the body. So let's talk about that virtual machine power on, power off example. Now let's say that this particular endpoint allows you to control the power state of the virtual machine. It might have a body parameter that says, you know, power state, and you can choose a Boolean value of true or false. Or maybe it wants, you know, zero or one or something like that. It's basically saying that when you talk to the endpoint, you can send data and you can put that data in the body, and that's actually going to control what happens to the resource. Right? So in the case of the virtual machine, if I say change your power state to true, you know, essentially on, then the resource will no longer be off, it'll start being on. Right? So that's something you can tell it. So that's the control mechanism to tell the endpoint what to do. Everyone good so far? Make sure we're good. All right. I know it's late for some. It's only 5 p.m. here in the West Coast. So I have. I guess I have the advantage in this case. <laughs> Before I move on to some demos and, and showing some of this stuff live, I wanted to add a few terms to know. And it's often things people have heard but don't quite understand what they mean. First is CRUD create, read, update, delete. It's typically the, the premise that lives behind API or RESTful APIs. Because whenever you interact with a resource via an endpoint, you're pretty much gonna do one of these things, right? You're either gonna create some data or delete some data. In the case of a git, you're just reading it. In the case of a patch or a put, you're updating that data. But that's all you're doing. And that's one of the, the awesome things about RESTful APIs is it's really simple, right? Just kind of like a very simple database. Um, the CRUD philosophy holds true for APIs. Uh, the other one is safe and unsafe, and I bring this one up a lot because developers tend to use safe and unsafe, and, and you'll see this as you cruise around the interwebs, and you might think, well, that sounds horrible. When would I ever use an unsafe call? Uh, it's really just it's just a vernacular, meaning safe is any kind of call that doesn't modify data. So git is a great example. If you git data out of a system, you're not going to harm that data. You're not going to modify that data. It's all good. And so this is where I tend to focus my you know, if you're trying an API for the first time, run some gits, you know, it, it's not gonna harm anything unless you go crazy and ask for like a billion of them or something. Uh, but that's IT, right? We, we all know how to blow up systems uh, quite spectacularly. Now unsafe are calls where we're gonna modify something. It doesn't mean unsafe as in, if I make this call, it's gonna burn the data center down. And that's kind of not my favorite word, but it just means, hey, you should know that data will be modified when you run this command, potentially. You know, sometimes not, but it's unsafe because it can. So patch, where you're modifying pieces of a resource, or um, even when you're doing 
a put to create a resource, post to modify a resource, post to create a resource, put to update a resource, et cetera, delete, obvious. Delete is not safe, right? I think we can all agree on that one. It's definitely going to delete some data. Right, so that's safe and unsafe. Start with safe. And then idempotent probably has the most horrible definitions ever on the web. It's all, it, because it's really a mathematic, uh, a mathematical term that, that was used in that realm for quite a bit of time, stats and math and whatnot. Uh, in IT, it just means that whatever you do, if you did it a second time or a third time or a fourth time, you're going to get the same result. So it's kind of like insanity. You know, you, you're doing the same thing over and over and expecting the same results, however, instead of different ones. I've got a couple examples here. So the, again, if we, if we make the git example, like, hey, I want to get details on a virtual machine. Is it on or off? That kind of jazz. It's idempotent, right? Because you can make that call over and over and over, and you're always going to get the same value unless someone goes in and changes that resource unknown to you. But that's not your problem. Uh, also, one that's confusing is put. You know, like, so put means I want to actually take the data from a resource and put new data into it, but I'm not creating a new resource. I'm just updating the resource. Right? And so that is also idempotent because every time you cram new data or the same data into a resource over and over again, you get the same result. It's going to say, cool, this resource is what you told me to do. And if you do it again, it'll be like, yep, still the same thing. Whereas post is not idempotent because it creates a new resource. It's kind of like create. And so you say, hey, I've got this data. I want you to post it into this particular resource. The API is going to respond back and say, cool, I made you a new resource. And if you do it again, it'll be like, well, I made you another resource. Here's resource two. If you do it again, it'll be like, well, I made resource three, and so on and so forth. Even though all the resources look the same, you know, you're basically creating clones of the first thing over and over again, uh, it's not idempotent because they are new resources. Right? So that's kind of a something on the internets that you'll see a lot of back and forth on, especially on um, uh, the various question websites. Really, though, I talk about all this tech stuff. All you really need to do is believe in yourself because, hey, no one knew how to do this you know, from birth. So it's obviously learnable. And uh, I think once you start playing with it, it gets pretty fun. And uh, I know I enjoy dealing with these systems uh, more often than not, especially when you find bugs and you can annoy you know, the developer or you can you know, hey, say, hey, Alan Renouf, you know, update your stuff or those kind of guys. All right. At this point, I wanted to transition into the vSphere 6.5 RESTful API, because I assume there's a lot of people in the VMware ecosystem. This is something I kind of showed a little bit earlier uh, in a different webinar, but I think it's it's still good information. So I'm going to switch over to that, as long as that's all right. So let's go to, there we go. Is that like super tiny? Should I make that bigger? Is that better? Yeah, that's better. Never tell. Yeah, I have like a gigantic set of screens, so I never know. Um, so all I'm doing here is connecting to uh, vCenter server running 6.5. Uh, I don't own or manage this particular server, so don't ask me questions about like what it's doing beyond being a vCenter server because I don't know. However, you'll do, you do notice bleh, you will notice on the bottom right this browse the REST APIs, and I'm going to get up on my soapbox for just a moment and uh, say I'm, I think it's awesome that VMware is getting into the game. I think it's really a bummer that they're just doing it last year slash this year, right? Because that's, that's really, there's, there's a ton of us that use their systems. I'm a huge fan of PowerShell and PowerCLI, don't get me wrong, but they've really not been in this game and even now are trying to catch up. So boy, but at the same time, why did it take so long? So if you click on this vSphere REST APIs button, it basically just adds API Explorer into the browser URL. 
And then you get the open API spec or swagger, uh, as it was formerly known, that comes up here, and you can start browsing all their APIs, right? And I will say that if this is your first time playing with a system like this, this is gonna seem kind of redonkulous because wouldn't it be so much easier to just go in there and click a few buttons or run a power CLI command or something like that to get the job done faster? Absolutely, I'm not gonna argue that point at all. The thing is, uh, you know, if you're looking to run power CLI or you're looking to click some buttons and things like that, those tend to be very skill specific environments. Like you either have to know the web environment for the web client or you have to know PowerShell. And so in some cases that may not be uh, very appetizing. Right? You may not have anyone that knows PowerShell, or you may not have anyone that knows uh, the web environment, or you may just want to use some kind of system that doesn't support PowerShell. You're looking to use, you know, VRO has some potential ability to, to call it, but maybe you want to use JavaScript within vRealize Orchestrator, as an example. There's lots of reasons might, where the, the traditional stuff that we've used as, I think, VMware administrators would be great, but does not necessarily applicable. Right? So what they're starting to do is they've got a various different environments here that you can work with, and those environments are now exposed using this API Explorer. The way it works is pretty much the same across every product. You expand what you're looking to look at, so we'll go down to virtual machine, there we go, and you can get some stuff about vCenter virtual machines, actually want, let's see what else we got here, ah, VMPower, that's the one I keep using as the example. So make that bigger and go to the bottom. Hopefully that's easy to see. So if you call VM slash power, uh, that's the endpoint. Let me actually expand this and we'll go through all of it, how it's working. So let me just expand that, try to get everything on my screen the best I can. I'll make it full screen as well. Maybe that helps, there we go. A little bit, little bit lower, there we go. So what's going on here? Well, this is all the information that you need to make a RESTful API call. It's not necessarily super obvious where it all is if it's your first time working with it. However, I will say, the cool thing is because pretty much everyone's using the open API spec, specifically OpenAPI 2.0, which is based on Swagger, which was the way of visualizing this stuff uh, on the back end. Once you learn this system for VMware or Rubrik, whoever it is, doesn't matter, you've learned the system. So the way it works is it's saying, well, if you want to make the call, here's the URI, let's see if I can highlight it. That is the actual endpoint. vCenter, VM, the little curly braces with the VM is asking for an ID value for the virtual machine, so that's what that tends to mean, and then power. Right, so you can get that information. Also, because I said the word get, there's the method. So we've already got the endpoint, we've got the method. The data that will come back when we make the call is the resource, so we can get the resource by doing that. And then any other body information that needs to go into the request is down here. I'm gonna scroll just a little bit further. And they actually use a parameter type here, meaning path. And remember how I showed you that curly brace VM in the, in the endpoint itself, in the URI itself? That's why we know what's supposed to be in there because it's saying, well, I want the VM information. The value is required, so I can't, it's not optional because duh. If I, if I wanna get power state on the virtual machine, I need to provide the information on the virtual machine. In this case, I believe VMware works off the managed objects, managed object reference or the MoRef, uh, which should be in here and is not, that's kind of a bummer. Uh, and it's just reiterating the fact that where you put this parameter is the path. If it was supposed to go in the body, it would say body. If you're supposed to query for it, which is using some question marks and whatnot in the in the endpoint itself, it would say query. And so that's information on this parameter itself. And then the data, data type is string. So it doesn't want numbers. Uh, it doesn't want an int or a float or a Boolean. It wants strings. So just pass it text. 
you know, any combination of letters and numbers, as long as you have the MoRef information. So this is like a treasure map telling you how to use an API, and it is freaking awesome because for a long time, this sort of documentation either A, didn't exist, and you had to like know somebody or pay a lot of money to be in some program so that they could show you this stuff, or they would just give you a PDF where they printed out like all the endpoints and stuff, and then you had to search through it and do that kind of jazz. This is actually, you know, you can actually interact with these systems, right? This is, you can put the, you know, the ID like VM 204, whatever the name of it, whatever the MoRef of it is, here, and click a button and it'll start using it, right? So it gives you all the, uh, all the reasons for failure, <laughs> which are funny, uh, as well as um, potentially some reasons for server failure, like, hey, I'm not available, and then a try it out button, right? So I, I encourage you, if you're working with a system, you happen to have vCenter 6.5, this is a good place to kick the tires. There's a lot of other ways you can explore this sort of thing. Uh, I know Alan and the team at VMware like to promote Postman. It's certainly a fun like exploring tool. I don't really use it on a daily basis, however. It's just a way to kind of kick the tires. Right? So I've actually got some code here that, that we can play with in real time, and then I'll probably tie things off and, uh, and let you go about your merry way uh, with some questions. So let me switch over here real quick. And grab some code. There's some code. Conveniently called sample code. Isn't that great? Let me just clear all this stuff off. And I assume I need to make it bigger, so I will try to make it bigger to a, to a certain degree. Uh, and let me add word wrap too. That'll help. There we go. Nice and big. Is this acceptable for the the viewers out there in TV land? Yeah, it looks from good. a size perspective. Okay, excellent. Good. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and ignore self signed certs because everything gets really pissed off when you do that. All right, cool. So just some examples here, and uh, I, I know I know it looks it probably looks a little daunting. Like oh my gosh, there's code on the screen. Don't don't worry. You know, um, keep calm and program on. There's there's not a lot special going on here. Uh, I don't I want you to ignore this top stuff. This is just gonna be me uh, creating some credential information, and then we'll we'll actually talk to the API. So I didn't I didn't want to just seed it in there. I wanted to like actually show that this is a real thing. Don't look at my password. There we go. Um, so this is where I want to start looking at stuff. Now, no, first off, before I go any further, this is all public code that I've committed on GitHub, and, and you're welcome to, to steal from it. I just wanted to show what it looks like to talk to an API and not have it be a slide. I hope that's okay. And I also didn't want to use the web thingy, because you can play with that all you want, and that's kind of like you know, the, the simple stuff, let's throw some code. So what are we doing here? We're gonna make a session to the environment, and in the VMware world, that means getting a token back that has a really weird key name. Normally this would be bearer or basic, but in their case, they want VMware API session ID. So be it, whatever. Uh, so we're gonna make a call, this is the call, and this is the PowerShell call, so you could use curl, you could use Python, you could use whatever you want, and then we pass along some information, so the URI, and, and I've hard-coded everything here so you can see it. I don't necessarily think this is the best way to write code. You know, don't hard-code stuff. I just wanted to be visual here so that it's easier to look at. So I'm saying, hey, I want to talk to my vCenter server. I want to talk to the RESTful API, specifically the VMware CIS session endpoint. This allows me to create a token, right? So I can pass along my credentials. I can get a token back. The method that I'm using is a post. Right, so this is basically requesting a new resource be created. Uh, post is create, put is update, patch is partially update, get gets, and delete deletes. So there, there's only like five action words there. Uh, and then 
the header information, in this case, there's a lot on there. I've, I've blogged about it quite a bit, how to create a basic authentication header. Um, that would take probably 20 minutes in and of itself because it's a little weird. So let's just take my, take my word for it that I'm putting the header information in there. And this head value contains all the information that I need, uh, such as my username and my password. So I'm going to give this to this endpoint, and I'm just going to execute it here. And you're not going to see anything. I'm also going to change my path, so it's not so huge. There we go. Um, I'm going to execute it there, and nothing happened, right? Because all of the, sorry, all of the actual data that I got back is stored in this little throwaway variable called R. So if I query R and say, hey, what happened? It's going to come up here and say, well, you asked me for some information, and I brought you something back. Right? The interesting thing is, um, this is basically what you're doing when you talk to anything on the web. You know, like you even see, yeah, we're using HTTP. I'm actually using HTTPS in this case. Um, it came back as a status code 200. We all know status codes. We, we, we know 500 is bad, but it's your fault. 400 is bad, but it's our fault. You know, there's I'm a little teapot, which is the best status code ever. Uh, and it's basically said, yeah, everything's okay. This call went through correctly. And here is the value of the token. The neat thing is like I can display the token because a token is largely irrelevant. It's a point in time where I can exchange this token to get authentication in the environment. And every time I ask for a token, I'm getting a brand new one. And if I'm like, oh no, someone got this token, like all of you watching this now, I could just go and say, well, invalidate the token, right? So it's a nice way to avoid having to send over uh, data over and over again. And it even puts a set cookie in here telling me exactly what this token looks like. So it's kind of nice. It, it gives you back some information. So at any rate, that's what you get back. And if we format it a little bit and I say, well, grab all that JSON data, grab the content from the, the reply and give me the value back and I store that in token, we can get a very nice and clean piece of the token there, right there. There's that long hoojajigger, <laughs> the actual token value itself, which is kind of a, a random hash of information. And now I'm going to store that into this session variable. But basically it was a long way of converting my uh, rubric.demo account and my credentials into a token and then saving the token for future calls. And again, I've, I've written about that. It's all available on wellnetwork.com so you can copy the code. I just want to go through it like what's going on? It's hard to it's hard to necessarily describe that in a blog format. Everything, everybody, everybody looks okay so far. Let's scroll down. Let's see something. You get to kind of see what's happening here. Um, I'll, I'll kind of, I don't want to spoil the secret there. Let's, let's go to the next one. We'll go to this one here. All right. So now, what else might I want to do? In this case, I've kind of given away with a comment. Maybe I want to get all information on every VMware virtual machine in my environment holistically. So I went to the Explorer and I said, well, how do I do that? I said, oh, you want to talk to the vCenter VM endpoint, right? So I just added the rest in front of that because they require that for making any calls. So that's my endpoint. Right? So the call is on the invoke web request. The endpoint is the URI here. It's that long URL looking thing. Again, I'm statically defining it here because I'm just showing it. It's not a, not a good practice. Uh, the method is get this time. I just want to grab data from the environment. And now my header is that token session information. In fact, I can even ask it, hey, what's in session? And it comes by at the bottom and says, well, here's the session information. It's this key and this value. Right? So I'm not passing anything special. Uh, so we'll run all of this and we'll get back all the VMs. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna convert the data from JSON to PowerShell native format, and we'll look at all the virtual machines. And there are a ton of them, because this is a, this is a legit environment. There's all these virtual machines. In the summation view, the API call doesn't show a lot, but you can see that there's, there's content there. In fact, 
if I go and say, well, how many, how many VMs did I get back? It'll say you got 121 virtual machines back from that call, right? And I didn't have to, you know, really do anything special. I'm not using any, this, this really isn't PowerShell specific. I'm not using PowerCLI at all. I'm really just saying, oh, PowerShell as my vehicle, go out to this endpoint, get the information, and here's my token so that you approve who I am, and then I spit the data out on the console. Not very useful in and of itself, but kind of cool, right? Uh, let's do something with that data. And here's where I, I have a victim. I'm actually gonna we're, gonna, we're gonna screw with someone's virtual machine in real time, so I'm just gonna move that up so that, that we, again, we don't spoil the mystery here. So what if I want to find a specific virtual machine? And Ed Morgan, I think, is asleep at this point because he's in the UK, but we're gonna play with his virtual machine and, and do nefarious things to it. Um, side note, the only reason to use RESTful APIs is not to do nefarious things, but if you wanted to, you could. So not saying that's the only use for RESTful APIs, but certainly fun. So here I'm gonna say the victim's this guy. This is the name of his virtual machine. I've stored it to the victim variable, which is, <laughs> feels really good to have a victim variable. I don't normally have one of those in my code. Now I need the managed object reference or the MoRef, because remember in the VMware world, uh, whenever we wanna talk about a virtual machine and describe it, we have to use the MoRef. So basically I have some kind of squirrely looking code and saying, go through all the virtual machines and let me know if you find one that has the same name as the victim. And when you do, grab the VM information and uh, specifically the MoRef and give it to me. And so I can just run this without anything and saying, oh, you want VM 43,417. That's the, that's the, the MoRef from that particular VM. So I'm gonna save that to MoRef. Right? So now we have information on it. I can now do another call. There's a call. Here's the endpoint. And notice this time, this particular endpoint has a path parameter. It wants vCenter VM, but this, can't, this time, if I wanna grab information on that one VM, I have to pass it in the path, right? And I think we could probably go in and show that. If I make this, it's, it's just so huge. There you go, we find it that way. There we go. I don't want power, I just want VM. There we go. I wanna get this VM, I'll make it bigger for you. So it's telling me, hey, if you want to talk to this guy, I need the MoRef, it goes in the path, and this is the endpoint right up here, vCenter VM, curly braces VM. So there, there's, there's the treasure map. It's even telling me what I'm gonna get back. I'm gonna get back all this stuff, floppies and CD-ROMs and virtual you know, components. You can click on model here and it'll tell you all about every one of these things and what potential responses are. And hopefully now the lights are starting to click a little bit, how much power is in a RESTful API. You can get anything you want out of this virtual machine. You are Lord and Commander. Uh, so switching back, let's grab some data from this. We're invoking the request. Here's the endpoint. We've, we've stuck the ID into it. Uh, we're gonna get information. And again, we're saying, here's who I am validating my token. Right, so let's grab that. Uh, and I'm gonna grab information on the VM. Again, I'm just grabbing the content, converting it from JSON, which is not a native thing for PowerShell, uh, into a PowerShell native piece of information. And I've stored that to the VM, again, a very creative parameter or a variable. And now let's display that in the screen, see what we got. See what we found out about Ed's virtual machine here. So now we got a lot of information on Ed's virtual machine. We know it's got a gigabyte of memory. It's probably running Linux. Uh, yeah, Red, Red Hat 6, 64-bit. We can get all sorts of information uh, about what's going on. It's all stored here uh, in a key value or, or hash table type format. What do we want to do with this thing, though? Or do we have do we have a question? Do I need well, to pause? We have uh, two questions okay. for you. So the first one is, how right. do you invoke the request in a non-hard-coded way? 
All right. Well, man, I love that. I love that question. How do you invoke the request? Basically, you just use uh, the best way would be to actually create a function uh, in which you accept parameters as inputs, right? So this is a script. We're just running it kind of interactively uh, for demo purposes, but you probably, uh, you basically would start the environment by saying, here's the parameters I accept. One of them is I accept the URI. The next one is the method, that kind of jazz. Or if you're feeling a little less adventurous, you could actually do stuff like what I did here, where I have the victim's information stored into a variable. I could even say the URI equals, and then grab this whole piece. If I can select it, there we go. I can put it in here. And then say the URI is URI, right? So there's ways I can do it that way. Uh, and so on and so forth. What you want to do at the end of the day is make sure that all of the parameters that we're passing to the call, you know, in this case, invoke web request, are held as variables themselves. And that either the user is directly inputting those variables uh, by allowing them to pass parameters into your request, or by having some config sheet somewhere, or JSON, or, or whatever, that you're pulling from that's abstracted from the code itself, if that makes sense. Cool. And then the second question is, are MoRefs unique across linked vCenters? I don't, I don't know, to be honest with you. It's been a while. I think version matters. I know that uh, when the, I think when the vCenters are in the same SSO domain, they, they work together to avoid duplicate MoRefs. Yeah, so if, but, if, uh, yeah, from what I recall, because um, I was actually just reading about this for, for something else, from what I recall, the MoRefs are unique per vCenter. Um, and so it's unlikely that there would be a conflict if they were linked. But if there is a conflict, vCenter automatically um, resolves that conflict without you knowing. That makes sense. And, and in this case, we've we've specifically connected to a vCenter. So if, it, if they were linked together, they should know as a group, you know, hey, this MoRef is, is for this guy. If there was a, a collision of MoRefs outside of this group, it wouldn't matter because we're not talking to that vCenter cluster anyway, or that, that SSO domain anyways. Right. Cool. Good questions. Can I continue? Do we got anything more that I should address? That, that's it for now. Go ahead. All right. All right. The last thing. Now we need to, like, break some stuff. Um, so I don't – I'm assuming he's asleep, so it should be okay. But you might notice here we're doing some, some nefarious thing. We can power off or power on the virtual machine. Right, so first let's get the status. Let's see if this thing's even off, on or off to begin with. So again, we're calling the same kind of endpoint looking thing as we've seen before. In this case, we're saying, talk to vCenter. We want information on a virtual machine. Here's the MoRef of that virtual machine. And I specifically want data or resource information on the power state. So I'm getting resource data on this endpoint. And then I just want the value of that. So I'll run it without the value so you can kind of see why I'm doing that. So let's run that. There we go. And you'll see it says state equals powered on is the value. And I just want to eliminate that wrapper. And that's why I'm doing that. So if we grab it without the wrapper, it looks a little cleaner. It just says powered on. So now we just say, okay, what's the state? Powered on. Excellent. So now we know it's on. I think, I think we should power it off. That feels like the right thing to do. Um, and he'll know because this is recorded that it was me, so I can't really weasel out of it. But in this case, I'm saying I want to stop the virtual machine, uh, this particular MoRef. The method in this case is a post, right, because I'm making a new resource request. I'm saying I want to stop it, uh, and there's the information. So I'm going to come back, and it's going to say excellent. It's okay 
200 okay, meaning the actual call succeeded, so there's nothing bad there, and I didn't really get anything back. You know, it's just saying nothing. That's something that I wanted to bring up, and it's why I use this as an example, is sometimes there's nothing to say. The endpoint's just going to say, cool, you sent me a well-formed uh, request. I have acknowledged that that request has been receded. There are no errors. Therefore, all you get back is nothing. Uh, it's kind of like super user on a Linux you know, um, console. When you're writing some commands, you're like, oh, you know, format the whole disk. There's no, like, are you sure? It just does it. Um, and this is kind of the same. So now, seeing that we've powered it off, it should have had time to do that. Oh, let's see what it's at. Oh, it's powered off. There we go. We, I think if I just go up a little bit. There we go. It was a clean power off because we requested the power off. We didn't just yank the power on it, and it's now powered off. And we can be nice. We can turn it back on for the user. There we go. Again, it's just coming back and saying 200, which is the HTML, HTTP code for OK. It even tells you that in the description. Again, no content because it just, you know, it does what you tell it to do. It's not, it's not a very creative system. Very simple examples, but when you put all these together and you start wrapping with functions, you put it into a workflow that you're trying to use, it becomes incredibly powerful. You could literally make a little tiny piece of code that just powers on or off virtual machines, as well as ones to rename them or change the network or whatever it is, and chain all that together and build some pretty powerful workflows. Cool thing is like really basic stuff like that's already been done for you. Uh, most of that code's already available as a pre-can sort of thing. Uh, really the ingenuity that you bring to the table is stitching it all together to make workflows based on what you're trying to do, you know, provisioning or lifecycle management or, or deprecation of a, of a workload, et cetera. So I will skip to, let's go to a not this slide. There we go. I forgot to show you that it was demo time. I feel bad about that because I love adventure time. I'll now pause again uh, because we're at the end of my content. Probably the end of time, too. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no more questions loaded up and go to webinar. Tom, are there any on Twitter? No. Um, people on Twitter are just kind of saying thank you and playing along. No, I'm not seeing any exact questions. But I, I do have one myself, so you know, I'm all pumped up on API now. So what should I do as soon as, as we're done here? That, that's a good question. I, I tend to like learning when there's a goal in mind, right? So exactly. I don't recommend just going in here and be like, API, I mean, feel free. Tinker with it all you want. Make get, get calls all you want. Uh, start learning the syntax. But realistically, think about something that you want to do. Uh, and the example that I'll give is I started working with NSX um, like three or four years ago. And I wanted to start automating the provisioning of my my environment, you know, all the um, edge routers and the virtual networks and all that kind of jazz. And the only way to really do that was through the API, and that's what forced me to learn their API. So if you can think of an a, of, of a result like, man, it'd be really great if I could fill in the blank, then start tinkering with it using the API. Like, all right, how would I do that? What would it look like? And I think when you have a goal in mind, it makes life a little bit easier. Uh, as far as API specific stuff. You, know, you, have to, you have to know a language to some degree. Uh, PowerShell is an easy way to start. Uh, and there's a lot of great content on the Pluralsight and Codecademy um, and a couple other places that can talk about APIs. And, and I've got a few blog posts that talk about it as well on wallnetwork.com. Cool. So speaking of wallnetwork.com, we got a couple of questions that came in, um, one of which okay. is how or where can they get your sample code? Uh, everything is either um, if you go to if you go to my website and just look up 
basically what we talked about API or, or PowerShell APIs. I've got a whole post that I talked about how to interact specifically with the VMware uh, API. So that's all there as well as a webinar that I did and everything else is under GitHub uh, under Wall Network as well. So all of my repositories are hosted on GitHub. Uh, the the organi organization name is Wall Network. And then the last question is, why would they use the API rather than using PowerCLI for what you demonstrated? I don't think you would, uh, unless you're very allergic to PowerCLI. And I, I think that's the that's the hard part to to really grab to, to really grok is yeah, PowerCLI is great for VMware environments. There's a lot more environments that are not VMware. Um, in this particular example, yeah, that's what it's there for. Uh, but you can't use PowerCLI everywhere, right? So for a simple power on or off a virtual machine, I'm with you, totally, 100%. I use it day to day. Uh, but if you want to do something a little more fancy, complex, potentially involving a bunch of other systems, uh, you're, you're really just not going to be able to be limited to one specific module with one language uh, targeted at one vendor. Uh, that's just the reality of things, unfortunately. Cool. Um, that looks like it, unless anything else came in over Twitter, Tom. No, we're uh, we're clear on on Twitter. Okay, cool. Well, thank you very much for your time, Chris. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. All right, and thank you everybody for attending. We did just have something come in. Uh, how is this all controlled in a practical way? Uh, <laughs> I code changes, etc. Yeah, I've got I've got a lot of opinions on that, and, and most of them are in a longer blog format. I, I'll say, pick a distributed version control system. Uh, I tend to use Git, um, specifically with GitHub or Bitbucket, uh, because that's the way you're going to want to interact with your team to control these sorts of things. And it's actually an awesome experience. And I've written written quite a bit about that experience uh, and my opinions on that as well on the blog. But uh, use Git and learn Git. That's that's like my best piece of advice I can give. Uh, G-I-T, get. All right, cool. Well, thank you very much for your time, and thank you for everybody that attended. Uh, we were going to go ahead and end the recording.